Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Foothill Family Church. Happy Fourth of July. Would you stand up and worship with us today? God is good. Amen.
day that we celebrate our freedoms and we know that our freedom comes from you, our heavenly Father. We give you all of the glory. Praise you, God.
like a river 
move with your spirit, heaven break. Come now with power, cover this land like you've done it before. Won't you do it again? Lord, send a revival. Lord, send it now. Move with your spirit, heaven break out. Come now in power, cover this land as you've done it Father, we thank you. We thank you that the reign of God is falling on our nation. We thank you, Lord, that the reign of God is falling on the earth, softening hearts toward the Lord Jesus, softening hearts toward the gospel. Hallelujah. We thank you for it. Thank you, Lord, that the reign of God is falling in our families, is falling on uh, our relatives and our children, Lord, softening their hearts. For it's time of restoration, and we declare. We declare over our families. We declare over our lives, over ourselves. Restoration. Hallelujah. The time of restoration is at hand. We thank you for it, Lord. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, if you can agree with that, say amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, before you're seated, why don't you find several people, go across the aisle, introduce yourself to them.
If you don't know their name, find out their name. Praise the Lord. We're so glad for those of you who are worshiping with us today on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, we are family. We're glad that you're with us. Amen. We're going to dismiss the children at this time to their class. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Amen. If you are worshiping with us today for the first time, we are so glad that you're here. If you wouldn't mind just lifting up your hat, I meant a hat. You're not your hat. Don't lift your... There's only one person that could lift their hat today, and she may not want to. No. Uh, lift your hand, please. And uh, I did meet a couple, uh, Nancy and... Um, yeah, hi, guys. So great to have you. Amen. We want you to feel home and with family today. Uh, then um, we want to just uh, let you know a few things that are going on uh, this month. Um, oh, first of all, Lauren Smith, our children's pastor, uh, she had her baby. Probably many of you know this by now. Uh, Nathaniel Joseph Smith uh, was born June the 13th. Uh, June the 13th at 926, he was 8 pounds, 6 ounces, and 20 inches long. Uh, the family is doing well. I think they have a picture up there of their daughter, Abigail. Those are always such sweet pictures with the siblings, and um, she's just a little mother, you know. Sometimes they can be too motherly and want to take too much control of that little newborn baby, so... Anyway, we're so happy for their family. And then we want to let you know that Vacation Bible School for eight children ages 4 through 11 uh, is, will begin in a week. So if you don't have your children or your grandchildren or your neighbor's uh, children or whoever you know, um, I know there are a number of people, praise the Lord, sharing with me that they're able to get some different family members here this year who have never been before. So we're glad about that. You can register the children online at foothillfamily.com. And then um, we just want to know that there's a few things happening this month. The men's ministry is going to be meeting on Monday the 18th. Uh, there's a ladies Bible study that we have in the evening on uh, the 19th and a young moms group that we have in on a Thursday morning on the 21st. So that is a packed week. Then we're really excited. The last Sunday of this month, um, actually Pastor Chip Yay! Oh, he's in with the kids today. Oh, is he here? Oh, he's back there. Yay, Pastor Chip. He came up with this idea, and he even came up with the, what we call it. I was really proud of him. Very creative. I think it's the first creative thing you've ever done. No, I'm joking. No, I'm joking. I love him like a son, so I only kid people. Anyway, we're going to have at the church Side Dish Sunday. And so it's going to be like a church picnic. We're going to grill hot dogs and hamburgers. We ask that you would bring a side dish and or a dessert to serve 12. And here is the best news of all. We know how we're all little California lilies or I don't like to get hot myself. 
I'm so used to a perfect temperature, right? And so I don't do well with extremes. I basically like 75 degrees. And um, so the good news is we're not going to be at the park. We're going to be in the fellowship hall in the air conditioning. Yeah, isn't that great? So we're going to still have grill out food, but we're going to be in the comfort, thank God, of air conditioning. Unless, of course, the state turns it off on us that day. Then we won't be, but we know they won't. Okay, praise the Lord. And then we're just going to let you know, <clears throat> we have our Christmas in July bookstore sale um, this month for anything that you want to get of either Pastor Mike's teachings or books or anything that's back there um, is either 20 or 30% off. Hallelujah. <clears throat> now, I'm just going to uh, uh, read this to you this morning. This scripture, uh, before we take up the offering, this scripture was quickened to me by the Holy Spirit today. Just a good one. It's in Romans chapter 8 and starting in verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God before us, who can be against us? Simple but powerful. Say that after me. God is for me. Who can be against me? God is on my side. Amen. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? And we know that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He will accuse you to you. He will point out your faults or something from your past to you. He's the accuser of the brethren. And when the devil tries to accuse you of things that you've done in your past, it is to get your eyes off of the word of God onto yourself and discouraged. And so he's the accuser of the brethren. The devil will also uh, be accuser of the brethren to us about others in the body of Christ. Being critical, finding fault, and, uh, but the Bible says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is not for, it's not for us to, to, uh, to do that to others, nor even ourselves. It says, it is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, things you might worry about that the devil tells you will come. Even that, nothing that is, nor that is to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Hallelujah. We are more than conquerors. We hold steady in these days. We shout the victory in these days. Why? Because we feel like it? No, not necessarily. Not necessarily because we feel like it, not necessarily because it looks like it, but because we have promises in the word of God and we have, and the word of God will never fail us. The word of God will never change. The world around us is changing, but he never changes. He never changes. His promises to us never changes. Hallelujah. And so we can rejoice. Amen. Make a choice to rejoice. Amen. We're going to give you an opportunity to give this morning. Our ushers are going to come forward. There should be uh, envelopes in the seat back around you. You can use that or you can give electronically. You can see it on the screens how to do that. If for some reason there's not an envelope, if you want to just lift up your hands, the ushers will serve you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the peace of God, for the protection of God, and the provision of God on our church family. Hallelujah. You have been faithful, O oh Lord, to us, and we thank you for it. We thank you that you never change, that you're always the same. We look to you. We trust in you. We cling to you. We stand strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Unite our hearts, O oh Lord. Unite us in spirit to reach people for Jesus. Every day, give us openings. Give us opportunities. Give us open doors toward those that we meet, toward our families. And we thank you for it, Lord. Minister to each heart in this place today, in their area of need. Speak to us and lead us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. After you've been given the opportunity to give this morning, would you stand and worship with us? This 
Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you. We worship you with thanksgiving for the raising up of this country. We thank you, Father, for the liberty that you made available to us and the blessings of God that this country has enjoyed. There's never been another nation like ours, Father to spread the gospel and send the good news of Jesus around the world. So we thank you as we approach this Independence Day. We thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for all that you shall do. We thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you, Father, for utterance in the Holy Ghost today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. I'm so glad that the Bible gives us information about the days that we're living in and the things that are to come. Matthew 24, verse 1, and Jesus went out. And departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming? And of the end of the world. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Folks, I want you to recognize and be aware of the first thing Jesus said in answering their questions about the end was deception. Take heed that no man deceive you. Verse 5 For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. I've had some trouble with this verse of Scripture over the years. Because if you take it literally, Jesus is saying there'll be people that come and say that they're the Messiah. Well, who's going to get pulled off with that? We've seen enough of God's power. We've seen enough of the things that he's done in our own lives and in the lives of others that we know. I just can't see many being deceived by somebody claiming to be Christ. But if you look at the language, the Greek language that it's written in, there are other ways that you could interpret this or translate it. For example, 
For many shall come in my name saying I am Christ. If somebody's coming in the name of Jesus, then how could they claim to be him themselves? That wouldn't just make sense. But it could also be translated, I am of Christ. Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name saying, saying, I am of Christ, and shall deceive many. Well, here we're talking about false doctrine. He goes on to mention false prophets, but that would also include false teachers. He's saying that in the last days, there's going to be great deception because people are going to be pulled off and pulled away by those who claim to be of God. Those who come in the name of Jesus and speak lies and hypocrisy, as Paul said in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. People will be swayed by seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Well, that could just be the, the foundation for these doctrines of devils and seducing spirits. So Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, or I am of Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation. This uh, word nation is the word ethnos. It's where we get uh, ethnic um, and variations of the word the critical race teaching and the white supremacy issue could certainly fall in that category. Kingdom and kingdom shall be against kingdom. That could be things like Russia invading Ukraine. And there shall be famines. We call them food shortages. And pestilences, we call those pandemics. And earthquakes in diverse places. And all these are the beginning of sorrows. Verse 9. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all names, nations for my name's sake. Now we've got to ask the question. Is he talking just to his disciples? Is he telling the apostles that they were, they're going to be the ones that will suffer persecution? Well, many of them did. Most of them did. But is that what he's talking about? Notice the first word in the verse is then. It indicates that something is being tagged on to what was previously said. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. This is possibly, most probably in my thinking, persecution against the church in the last days. Folks, there are 195 nations in the world today. And according to organizations that keep up with this type of stuff, in 80 nations, the church is being persecuted to the degree of losing their lives to spread the gospel. 80 out of 195. That's the greatest degree of persecution that this world has ever known. Verse 10, and then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. 
But he that sh shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. The witness he's talking about is signs and wonders. That's what the word witness means in this, in this setting. So the emphasis is first and foremost on deception. And Jesus is just answering the question of the disciples. When shall these things be? What are the signs of your coming? There was one other one that I left out. And of the end of the world. Now folks, the deception part, the problem with deception is people don't know they're being deceived. If deception came with a package that was clearly labeled, then I feel certain that not so many people would be offended, would be deceived. But notice verse 10 again, and then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. I have never seen anybody that was deceived that was not offended. Offenses seem to go hand in hand with deception. Folks, I believe it's important for us to know the times that we live in. I've done a lot of reflecting over the last months and few years about what's going on in the world and, and how to deal with it, what to preach or teach to equip people for what's going on and what's coming up. And I'll have to admit that there were some things that took me by surprise, some things that caught me off guard. Back in 2016, when Trump beat Hillary Clinton to become elected president of the United States, we had some people leave our church over that. I didn't realize it at the time, but that really started a time of offense. Days of offenses, a time period of offenses. There are a lot of things that happened over the next period of time. President Trump was impeached twice. You remember that? And every accusation that was made against him for those impeachment hearings was proven to be false. And I think the, his opposition party really knew that there wasn't anything that was significant. But they had political designs on controlling the narrative and all that kind of stuff. And then there was the death of George Floyd. Remember him? You remember that started Black Lives Matter? And Antifa? You remember in the summer of, what was it, 2019, I guess, how there were continuous riots taking place week after week after week? Defund the police became one of the buzz, phrase, the buzz words and catchphrases. 
And then we came into the pandemic. And it controlled everything. Every political view, every idea, everything that was purported to be the truth was run through the pandemic spectrum. And along with the pandemic came the lockdown. And the lockdowns destroyed the economy to a great degree. But it destroyed a lot more than that. It had devastating effects upon the church worldwide. There's a saying that I heard from T.L. Osborne many years ago. He was talking about the importance of fellowship. He said the banana that gets pulled away from the bunch is the one that gets peeled. Well, folks, I got to tell you, the church, at least the church in America, got peeled. We came to the election of 2020 where Biden was uh, declared the president. I don't believe he won the election. And I don't care if you think I'm a conspiracy theorist because of it. I just hope we can, even if we disagree on that point, I hope we can remain together in fellowship. But not everybody thinks like that. We've been pastoring now for a long time. 37 years, is that it? If you stay in something that long, you're bound, to lose, you're bound to learn something along the way. And I have learned some things. We experienced some things that we really weren't prepared for, and I really don't know how you prepare for it, to be honest with you. We've had people leave the church all throughout the, the time that we've been here since we started it back in 1986. I've had men, grown men, stand right here in, in, at the end of a service and cry like a baby because their jobs led them away and they were going to move for their jobs or their families or whatever the case was. And they were, and he was, well, they, it's been more than one. They appreciated the church and didn't want to leave. But I've also found out that when people are offended, they don't tell you they're going. Now, every now and then you'll have somebody that wants to spit in my face, so to speak. I don't mean that literally, I mean that figuratively. But I've had some people that wanted to tell me how wrong I was and how right they were. And me being wrong and them being right was what the reason that they were leaving the church. Typically, those people are the ones that want to take other people with them. 
And we've had more of that in the last year than any other time in the history of our church. One fellow tried to plant my grandkids in another church. Things like that have to be answered for. The Bible tells the story in the Old Testament of Moses while he was leading the children of Israel taking a wife of the Ethiopians. Apparently this woman was a part of the great multitude that came out of Egypt with Israel. The Bible tells us also that Moses had sent his wife back to her father. I guess the the road was too rough for her. And she didn't want to stay any longer, so he sent her back, which would be the equivalent of divorce. And then Moses took a wife of the Ethiopians, a woman that was of Ethiopia, Now his brother, Moses' brother Aaron, who was the high priest, and his sister Miriam, who was kind of the song leader it seems, and had great access to Moses because of relationship and because God chose them to use as well. She criticized him for taking the wife that he did Now, there would be an argument to be made that her complaint may have been accurate. Her complaint may have been worthy of consideration because part of the law of Moses, the law that Moses delivered from God to the people, is not to marry outside of their own race. So Moses taking a woman that was not a Jewish could be considered the wrong thing to do. But there was still a penalty that that Miriam had to pay for her confrontation and complaining against Moses. And it was pretty serious. God told her to stick her hand inside her cloak and pull it back out again. And when, when she did, her hand was leprous. So that shows us that her actions took her out of a place of defense by God. And this is something that I think, if I just take a little side journey here, this is one thing that I, I think we're going to really be surprised when we get to heaven and find out all the things that God spared us from simply because we were under his umbrella of protection. Moses when Miriam did that and she was facing the Lord Moses asked asked for the mercy of God to be upon her and that there wouldn't be a consequence for her speaking out against him and God challenged Moses on it he said if her father had simply spit in her face would that not have been a just punishment for a week And so Miriam 
was spared the greater consequence of her complaint. But she was still separated and had to purify herself for a week. Some of these things have to be paid for. There are consequences. Now, folks, I don't own anybody, and I've never pretended that I did. I've always took, taken, have taken the church in a direction that if you think there's anything of value, then you're welcome to it. But I don't try to stipulate how people should operate in their own lives. I don't dictate to anybody what you must do. A lot of things that I know are forcefully presented by the Holy Ghost. I'll soften it up and say, say you might want to consider this. Folks, if I ever say you might want to consider something, it's something that's already been considered by God. But in my estimation, it's easier to take things from that are not presented as demands but to trust people to think for themselves and be led by the desire to follow God's plan and purpose for their lives. So we're in a day of offense. I used to take it personally when people would leave the church. <clears throat> but the Lord showed me something in the scripture that helped me not do that. I'd like for you to turn with me to John chapter 6. I'm sorry, I've looked at this in several different ways, hoping to pull out key verses, but the whole chapter is really going to need to be read. So if you'll bear with me while I do this, John 6, verse 1. <clears throat> Excuse me. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. I want you to notice how right and on target this thing starts off. The people are witnesses and knowledgeable to the miracles and the healings of the sick. And Jesus went up into a mountain and he sat there with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. One of the reasons that John says it this way is that at the point this is written, probably about 95 AD, the temple has been destroyed for 25 years. And when the temple was destroyed, there were no more sacrifices made by the Jews. There were no more keeping of the feasts and the festivals. And so John is looking back and relating the eyewitness account he had as a disciple of Jesus. So the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he said unto Philip, 
Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? He's asking the question, where are we going to get the bread? He's not concerned about the money to pay for it. He's simply asking location. And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him and said, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, There's a lad here which has five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men that sat down in number, about 5,000. Now, folks, is this a men's meeting? Is Jesus having men's ministry workshops? Where are the women? The women are there too. It could very well be, probably is, that a lot of these men's wives are there just as they are. The same would be true for a lot of children. Now, folks, in most Pentecostal churches, I don't really like the term, but I'll include us in that for this sake. In most charismatic or Pentecostal churches, the women outnumber the men two to one easily, sometimes a lot more. And if you factor in kids, this is a crowd which may be 15 or 20,000 people. It's a huge number, whatever it is. And Peter, uh, Philip seems to indicate that by his response to Jesus. And remember, Jesus asked, where are we going to get the bread? Not how much is it, will it cost and do we have enough budgeted into our, our month for, to take care of this? Just where are we going to get it? So the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed it to the disciples. And the disciples to them that were set down and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above the, under, under them which had eaten. Where did they get these baskets? What are the baskets there for? It's not like they're traveling with a big 18-wheel trailer with supplies for everything that they have. But they gathered together 12 baskets of fragments that were left from the five barley loaves and the two fishes. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that shall come into the world. Notice the result of the miracle. It points to Jesus being the Messiah. Verse 15, when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Now folks, Jesus came to the earth to be the king of the Jews. 
He was the king of the Jews. But not a political king. This was not the only time when Jesus was aware that the people would take him by force to exalt him into a governmental or ruling position or office. And every time he left the crowd, Verse 16, and when, G, when evening was now come, his disciples went down unto the sea and they entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. But he said unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land where they, whither they went. Folks, this is a, a, an explosion of the miraculous. First you've got miracles of healings. Then you've got the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 plus. Now you've got Jesus walking on the water, And when he gets to the boat, the boat is instantly translated to the other side. The day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that which there was none other boat there, save or except the one whereinto his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, after that the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou thither? Now let me back up and make sure we're clear on what's going on. Jesus, after the feeding of the 5,000 plus, Jesus sends his disciples away in a ship. He goes into a mountain to pray, comes back down later on, walks on the water, comes to the ship that his disciples are on, and instantly they're on the other side. The people saw Jesus go into the mountain, and his disciples get into the ship. So when they come to Capernaum, they see the boat that the disciples took, but there's no other boat there for Jesus to have come in. So they're perplexed. They recognize that Jesus made it to where he said he was going to go or told his disciples to go. But nobody has an answer for how he got there. And Jesus doesn't tell him anything. Verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, because you did eat of the loaves and, and were filled. And Jesus simply tells them, I know why you're here. You're not here because of the miracles and the healings. You're here because I fed the 5,000 and you want another free meal.
Labor not for the meat which perishes, but for that meat which endures under everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Then they said unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Now in the previous verse, Jesus said, Seek eternal life. Now they want to know what to do, what work to do, what activity to engage in that would be pleasing to God and would be worthy of them uh, uh, obtaining eternal life. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. They're wanting something to do to earn everlasting life. Jesus said, it's not something you can do. Your job is simply to believe in me. You know, sometimes that's the hardest thing to do. Because if we can do some kind of physical activity that in our minds would justify a result, we would most often rather take the physical route Because the spiritual route is too big a fight. And folks, there's always a good fight of faith. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? I thought these guys were part of the group in verse 2 that were following him because they had seen the miracles of healing that he had done. They are certainly part of the group that were fed among the 5,000 plus. And now they're saying, what sign will you give us? Those people don't get saved because of signs. People have their attention arrested because of signs. But there's a huge difference between believing in Jesus as the Son of God as having something proven to you. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then? that we may see and believe thee. What dost thou work? What sign would convince them? The healing miracles didn't. The feeding of the 5,000 didn't. What sign would satisfy them? Those people that are looking for a sign are never satisfied. They went on to say, Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. 
But I said unto you that you also have seen me and believe not. In other words, he's saying that the miracles of healing didn't do it. The feeding of the 5,000 didn't do it. So although you have seen me, you believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will that he has sent me. That of all which he has given me, I should lose nothing. But should it raise up again at the last day. Now folks, Jesus said a couple of times, once here and then once when he was praying on the night that he was betrayed. That he has not lost any of those that have been given to him. But let me ask you a question. What determines that? I would suggest to you that the thing that determines that is not God or Jesus himself. It's picking the right people. That will show up to be so true at the end of this story. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Then the Jews murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Now they're asking him what sign he's going to give them. And he gives them the truth. And now they start to murmur against him. These are the ones that were simply asking just several verses before. How do we obtain this everlasting life? Well, step one might be to listen to the word of God. The word made flesh. So the Jews murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered him and said, murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the father which has sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets. And they shall all be all taught of God. Every man therefore that has heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man seeth the Father, save he which is of God. He has seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, taken literally, this certainly contradicts the law of Moses then said Jesus unto them verily verily I say unto you except you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you have no life in you 
Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now we know what he's talking about. We know that his body and his blood were offered as a substitutionary sacrifice for us. But they don't ask him to explain. They don't question him that might, in a way that might bring them understanding. They think that because they know his lineage, his mother and his father, they think that precludes him from being the Messiah and certainly would disqualify his words from being in line with the law of Moses. Verse 55, for my flesh is meat indeed and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. As the living Father has sent me and as I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now that last verse that we read, verse 59, indicates that Jesus didn't say this just one time. Or this teaching wasn't in one setting with these particular men. Apparently, he goes into the synagogue in Capernaum, assuming they were outside the synagogue when all the other stuff was said. And he talks about that at some length. Now, when he does talk about it and teach about these things, again, as I said, we understand the substitutionary work of Jesus on the cross. They don't know anything about that. They don't know that the cross is in his future. But this is something that he speaks and teaches about to some degree. So that a multitude of people hear what he said either firsthand or they hear from somebody that was there and rejects it. Verse 60. Many therefore of his disciples when they had heard this said this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it he said unto them doth this offend you? And if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up to where he was before, will you be offended by that too? It is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given him of the Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Now, folks, Jesus just made a point about doing the will of God by not losing anybody that was given to him. Now he loses almost everybody. What does that mean? 
Well, if Jesus told the truth, and of course he did, then that means the people, the multitudes, the ones that witnessed the healing miracles, the ones that were fed by the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes, the ones that recognized that Jesus didn't have a way to get across the sea, but he's there anyway. Those were not people that were given. Verse 67, then Jesus said unto the twelve, will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So we see the crowd was offended. And as it said, many of his disciples walked not with him any further from that, from that day forward. But the disciples, the twelve, hearing the same things, not having one ounce of understanding greater than the rest of the, the crowd, the multitude, avoided taking offense. They didn't understand more than the others. They had certainly witnessed more of the healings and the miracles that he did. But the same information is available to both groups. We'll call the first group the 5,000. And you certainly understand who they are. And the second group we've called the disciples. Hearing and seeing the same exact thing. One group gets offended and the other group does not. Now was there ever a better teacher than Jesus? Was there ever a better minister of any type? than Jesus I used to think that if I could just gain enough knowledge of the word and grow in spiritual, my spiritual development to such a degree that I walk in love all the time somehow or another I, I kind of thought that, that would keep people in place and that they would follow me I was talking to the Lord about that many, many years ago now. And when I shared that summation that I just gave you, he pointed out that people left him. I think you can readily see how that just trashed my argument. Whether people get offended is up to them. Whether people take offense is up to them.
But there's a verse of scripture that's dear, near and dear to my heart, and I hope it becomes near and dear to yours in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 165 says this. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Now, folks, that's exactly in line with what Peter answered when Jesus asked the disciples if they were going away too. Exactly. You have the words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? I've sometimes made fun of Peter because the translation seems to indicate that he's implying at least that if they had somewhere else to go, they would. But that's not what he's saying. Where will we go? You have the words of eternal life and we're convinced that you're the Messiah. We need to be on our guard in these last days where offense is concerned. Tony and Patsy Caminetti were just with us. They spent a few days with us after they finished ministering. And they told us about a fella up in the northeast part of the country who had a growing, thriving church. And the Lord gave him a message to preach to his congregation. And the way that the message came, came to him was supernatural in such a way that he knew that he knew that he knew that God was behind it and God wanted him to preach it. If I remember right, they said that he had to a congregation of about 3,000 people. And he preached this story or this sermon as God had delivered it to him. And he indicated that he was not against President Biden, but that whenever he thought of him, he prayed for him. And that he was praying for other people in the Democratic Party who are included in the group of doing terrible, disastrous things to the country. He lost 2,500 people. Church of 3,000, one sermon from a pastor that they've known for years a man that had a lot of longevity in ministry. Uh, 2,500 people left him. Now, folks, I'm sure that you're aware of my political persuasion. I would call myself a conservative. I do call myself a conservative. 
The only problem I have with that is the other conservatives aren't conservative enough for me. As I said before, I believe the election 2020 was stolen from President Trump. I'm aware of the rallies that he's still holding around the country. I can look at a lot of the policies and programs that were stopped and changed when President Biden was elected or when he took office. But I've got a question for you to consider. Did you catch that? Is making America great again God's will for this last day? I would like nothing more than for President Trump to be reelected. Actually, what I'd really like is for him to be reinstalled and the fraudulent election be exposed. So I know the good things that would result in him getting back in office. But is that God's will? Folks, where the Bible talks about the evil that men will pursue in the last days, those things are going to happen no matter who's president. But we've got some things that we can look at, and I think we need to make spiritual judgments about. For example, there is no way I could be convinced that the Russian prime minister or president, whatever they call their guy, Putin, would have, been great, would have invaded Ukraine if Trump was president. But I can see Putin's invasion of Ukraine and the result or the response of other nations, particularly the NATO nations, and that result or that response lines up a lot more to the end time events that are prophesied than would have been if Trump was in office. There's only one thing, I think I said there's nothing that I wanted more, but there is, there's one thing that I want more than for America to be great again, and that's for Jesus to come back. Great peace have they which love the law of God, and nothing shall offend them.
Let me close with Hebrews chapter 10. I'll begin in verse 21. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The approaching day he's talking about is the end of the age. The day that's approaching that he refers to is the rapture of the church. Now when Paul writes these things, and he gives them instruction not to forsake the assembly of themselves together. And he makes the statement that, which after the manner of some is, meaning people, there are groups of people in their day that are saying that there's no value or virtue with attending church. So this is not some new thing that comes along. There were groups of people that were promoting that back then. This was written probably somewhere around 62, 63 AD. We believe Paul was beheaded in 64. And so it would have to be before that. But he's telling us a couple of things to establish value. Verse 24, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Apparently, that takes place through the fellowshipping together and the assembling of the church together. So it's not necessarily instruction for the, the church in the last days. But it would make sense that he would encourage us to do the same things that he's encouraging them to do if he's writing to us rather than writing to them. Folks, you remember in 2 Timothy, rather, verse, chapter 3, verse 1, Paul talks about perilous times in the last days. And then he gives a litany of things. People shall be lovers of themselves and a big list that I haven't memorized about how people will op operate and act. Now, there's not one thing in that list that you can't find in every generation even before the church was born. There's never been a generation of mankind that has not been lovers of their own selves. And so the things that he mentions have to be operating in such a, a measure that it stands out in the last day generation much more so than any other. It talks about people being traitors, betraying each other. 
not caring for or taking care of the family. One thing that's mentioned is it says without natural affection. A lot of people try to attach that to homosexuality, but that's not what, it, what the words mean. It means without family attraction or not family being provided for and taken care of. Folks with the transgender stuff and all the things that are going on in the, mostly in the public school systems. It's designed to break up the family. The devil knows if you can destroy the family, you can destroy the country. So I'll ask again, is making America great again God's ideal purpose at this point in time? We have a higher calling than politics. We have a father who gave us his son. And by giving us his son has instilled in us power in the name of Jesus to occupy in this life, in this earth, In authority, whatever we bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. We have a spiritual kingdom to build. By bringing people into the family of God. I will never vote Democrat. So if you think that I'm saying we need to help along God's end time work, <laughs> it would take God speaking to me out of a burning bush and then giving me a sign. I hope you understand what I am saying. We serve a good God. And he would not under any circumstances leave us helpless here on the earth. Thank God that the power in the name of Jesus and the power of prayer will see us through. Amen. Let's all stand. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you. Aware of these last days that we live in. Lord, we do our best to interpret Scripture in the light of other Scripture so that we can not be caught unawares of the importance of the days that we live. 
Holy Spirit, we ask you to come upon us like the rain, the early and the latter rain. If Jesus is waiting for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience until he received the early and the latter rain, then, Father, we pray for the rain. We ask you for displays of your power and your presence. So that it produces grass in the field or the precious fruit of the earth. Multitudes of people wanting the kingdom of God. Holy Spirit, we ask you to help us to pray. We know what to pray for, but not as we ought. But you do. So we thank you for giving us utterance in other tongues. That we might pray the perfect will of God. Thank you, Father, for holding us steady, for giving us the foundation of your word that cannot fail. And because we have built our lives on your word, the rock of your word, no storm shall shake us loose. Thank you, Father, for watching over your word to perform it. In Jesus' mighty and precious name, amen. Amen. Thank you for being with us, folks. We love you. You're dismissed.